0: let me say good morning and let me wish you on behalf of mary and myself let me wish you a very happy healthy holy prosperous new year to each one of you and your families um we're going to take just a one week respite this morning away from our great study in the book of romans and i want to share with something that god has laid on my heart actually i've taught this uh, to two men's bible study already i've taught it to the high schoolers and I just feel led by the Lord because the Lord has laid it on my heart. It's one of those kind of things that for me personally, when I heard this, I just had a real aha. It came to my very heart, my very soul. It touched me to the core. And I just feel a compassion to share that with you this morning. So hopefully we can do that together. I, what really preempted this, Rick had done a Wednesday night sermon Uh, Well, not sermon, but he was talking in his series on the Profiles and Christian Courage series, he recounted the life and the story of Justin the Martyr, if you remember Justin the Martyr, Justin the Philosopher. And I, I was captivated by that story because he told and he explained that here it is 130 A.D. and Justin is walking the beach and he is a philosopher. He's not known as Justin the Martyr at that time, but Justin the Philosopher because he was a stoic. He believed in stoic philosophy. He had gone through all the stoic philosophers and he was leading his life as a philosopher, but he was totally empty. He had no meaning or purpose or life. Is there a God? And you can just get this visual picture as Justin is walking the beach. And here's there's this old profound Syrian, as Rick called him, reformed theological th- theologian that's walking the beach a Christian Stoic. And he senses, of course, obviously by the Holy Spirit, that something's not quite right with this man walking on the beat, Justin the philosopher. So he stops him and asks him and he confronts him. He says, You have been searching and you have depended upon all the philosophers of old when you should be looking to the ancient prophets. And Justin responds, I don't know the prophets. I've never heard of these prophets. And so here's how the old Christian sage responds and let me read you his words. There's a far better source, Justin, and they're called the prophets. Justin declared that he'd never heard the prophets to which the old man responded. The prophets of the scriptures didn't derive their truths or ideas on speculations, but upon the direct revelation of God. I can prove it to you because if you read the prophets, they make prophecies, pointed predictions about future events, often hundred years in the future. And their predictions have all come true. Justin responded, you don't mean it. They all came true. And so at that point, the old sage kind of summed up the message of the prophets when he said that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah who brings meaning to life, Justin, and gives you meaning and purpose for all that you do and that the Bible is the word of God. Justin then considered the scriptures, began reading the Bible, and was converted well, Rick's message, uh, actually it was back in the end of November on a Wednesday night, has reaffirmed to me where I want to take us this morning. Now again, for some of you men, we have done this already twice in men's Bible study. David, I've got to, it, I've got to point you out because it meant so much to me. Uh, we have an elder that was uh, on vacation. And he called me about this particular script we're going to talk about this morning. I've had a high schooler because two weeks ago we visited this in, in the high schoolers. Two of them have come to me and said, I want to learn that script again. I want to get my mind around the Bible. It's the Bible, the Scripture, declares Scripture. And it's meant so much to me. So David Rainey, if you'll forgive me, I want to go through what you've already heard because uh, I feel it's to our advantage this morning to walk through this yet one again. Now if I stumble, you jump in and give me that again, okay? Uh, But you know that recent events in Israel and the responses, particularly that we see on the university campus across these countries, has reminded us how woke this our our culture has become and that higher learning, higher education has become. Regardless of the career path of our youth, there's a hostile place out there that's ready to steal their mind and ridicule and embarrass anyone who dare declare that there's a living God, or particularly that you mention the name Jesus in a public setting. You've probably found it more difficult at your job site. We all have family members that we pray for who are outside the church that do not uh, know our Lord. And it seemed like society more than ever is ready to make a very unapologetic attack upon what we believe and why we believe what we believe. So the question becomes to me more, I seem to be and you seem to be more on the defensive in our culture of why I believe in Christ or what I say about my church or what I say about my Lord. So the question this morning I want to share with you is, so how do we explain the Bible, that the Bible is the Word of God, on what authority do we write our Bible, and the question that we need to be prepared to answer in the society that we live today? So why do you believe, and I'm not going to give you time to answer, maybe I should, but why do you believe, if somebody asks you, why do you believe, on what authority do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? How do you answer that? I'm not going to let you respond, but we know as people of the book that the uh, the Word of God is the work of God by the power of God in the hand of God. And we know that. But how can we articulate in a very apologetic way? And how can we defend the Bible? Now let me say very quickly, and I'll get there in just a second, we don't have to defend the Bible, and we're going to move that direction. The Bible will the, the Bible defend itself. But what's the way that I can set up so that my adversary, those antagonists out there, do not define the terms of what I'm talking about and put, it, put me and you immediately on the defensive so the question is, sometimes they think somehow they're of a moral higher or more intellectually able than we are if we're just poor Christians. And somehow they want to feel themselves a little intellectually higher if I'm following something else. They wanted to find the moral ground, and we see that. And to make no mistakes, books in every book that's ever been written has been written except by our, our Bible have been written by mere mankind. So when they attack us saying the Bible is written by mortal men, well, every philosophy, everything they believe has come from something they've heard or read, written by men. Now, whether that be Karl Marx or maybe Stephen Hawkins, or maybe it's critical race theory, or perhaps it's from some uh, degenerate Hollywood actor or some text they were forced to read in college, But on what authority is the real question? On what authority do they believe what they believe? So what's the authority for that? Well, the old Christian, Syrian Christian on the beach that day asked the right questions of Justin. On what basis do you understand and and believe what you believe? Justin had looked all around and he saw, he was having a Romans 1 moment, He's walking the beach. He feels all the creation that the creator God has given us, but he found no meaning and purpose in that. Is there a God? So he was walking the beach that day, and he had a Romans 1 moment. The evidences of all creation give an evidence to a living God. So he was searching, and he was trying to go through that. Well, let me ask you this, and let me make a quick statement if I can for EE. E. If you've not been through EE uh, e. training, I would highly encourage you to do that. I would highly, highly encourage you to encourage your college and your high school students in particular to go through EE training. They're going to face a tough world out there. We hear it. We see it all the time. My children used to come to church, but now they got in the workforce. They went to college. They've done this, and they're no longer going to church. And the story is heard over and over and over. And we have got to equip them, prepare them to stand up before some lunatic college professor and dare challenge that professor that there is a living God, whether you believe it or not. And you're not going to change my moral foundation based on some philosophy that you have. Well, here in the good old South, we call it, used to be more so than it is, we would call it the, the Bible Belt. Question quickly. Well, I just wanted, for those who may not know, EE is evangelism explosion, and the church offers it every period. Yes. That's correct. Usually it's on a Tuesday. Everybody hear that? Evangelism explosion that's been around. It's taught usually beginning on a Tuesday several <laughs> weeks, but it's probably offered four or five times during the year, and I highly encourage you to get your youth involved with that. But here in the Bible Belt, very oftentimes we're asked, well, why do you believe the Bible? What is the Bible? On what authority you base your Bible? Typically, it can fall into three categories when we respond. We'll respond and say, well, you know what? And this is right. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Absolutely. Or you may respond by saying, you know, I was raised believing the Bible. And then we can also say, well, because of my personal experience, I've tried the Bible. And it worked for me. Also, we can say the Bible's not true because it works for us. It works for us because it's true. Now, here's the comeback with that. That's where I'm going with this. If we're not prepared, our antagonists have heard all three of those answers before. They've categorized them. They must be teaching at some Satan school somewhere, in philosophy somewhere, because they're immediate to respond. Well, you know what? They'll respond very quickly. When we say, I was raised to read the Bible, well, I was raised in California. I believe the Bible because I've experienced it and it's true, it changed my life. Well, I've been taking illicit drugs and it changed my life. So we kind of fall into that trap where you talk about your God, here's where they'll define the, the terminologies. You're thinking of a big G God, they're thinking of a little g God, and their God is Allah or Buddha, or they're, pl- they're hugging planet Earth. They're they're, they're out kissing rocks. Whatever it could be. But in their own mind, that's what they think God is. That super being somewhere. So I want to take a minute this morning to say and share with you again what's deep on my heart this morning. Is how can we articulate a statement that I can respond to why I believe what I believe about this book, the Bible, that does not put you on the defensive Because I want to give you a statement that when you say it, they've never heard before our antagonist. And they'll probably just go, I'll have to get back with you. I don't know. I I don't know what you're saying. They can't grab something upon us. Now, as uh, Charles Spurgeon said, let's make it clear. We don't have to prove the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd no more defend the Bible than a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. You just turn him loose and he'll defend himself. So that is so true. The Bible, turn it loose. That's God's business, the Holy Spirit. He will defend. It will not come back void. It will last forever. We are not, I don't have to defend the Bible per se. The Bible, the scriptures defend themselves. The Holy Spirit does a pretty good job. But what we're talking about here is how can I share that Bible? How can I share my Jesus with people that won't let me get that opening or that that. Uh, Block they have on their own mindset of what God is and what they think the Bible is, putting me on the defensive and defining the terms. So that's where we want to go this morning. So I want to share with you the Bible gives us an apologetic statement in the Scriptures that we can use to define the terminology, not put me on the defensive, but let the Bible speak is the Bible, is the Bible. I call it a string of pearls. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Peter. And what we're going to see there is one concise statement, one concise um, string of pearls taken from Scripture itself. And we're going to allow Peter and John and Paul and Luke to talk to us as we look at this string of pearls as a way of telling people about this book, we, the Bible. So how do I defend? What is the Bible? And you'll see it on your handout. I believe the Bible because it's a reliable connection, uh, uh, collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses who lived in the time of other eyewitnesses and they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim their writings were divine rather than human in nature. Let me say that again. I believe the Bible because it's a rival collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. And they claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. What do you do with that statement? It's hard for our antagonists to get their hands around, what did you just say? Everything I just said is true. Everything I just said is in the Bible. Everything I just said is scriptural. And so we want to begin in our starting point, kind of the, the lock on our stream of pearls, if you will. Now, what I'm trying to do is take these scriptures as a string of pearls. We're going to start with 2 Peter because that's the lock that locks all this together. But I want you to see what the Bible itself says and makes for us one dynamic statement. That if you put your mind and heart around this statement, you can face any antagonist. With confidence, knowing they don't know what you just said, they're not equipped to fight back with you, so you're not on the defensive. I want to be able to talk about my Jesus from this book, the Bible, and share with you. So, begin by looking at and put your little ribbon, your Bible ribbon, in there because we're going to go to three other verse chapters, but we're going to come back and kind of hang around here. So, take a, take a look at Second Peter, and Second Peter. Six, uh, 1 16 through 21. Let me read. 2 Peter 1 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised what? Myths, fables. fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice one born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What's he addressing there? What event? Okay. The baptism. We ourselves heard this very voice voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the days, uh, till the days dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Kind of sounds like Peter here is responding to something or someone, doesn't it? He starts out by telling us, first of all, I believe the Word of God in your script there. I believe the Word of God. Why? Because it's a historical collection. It's a a reliable collection of historical documents. So the Bible's not written by one individual, and we know that. The Bible is not written by one individual, but over 40 authors from different walks of life, uh, coming from different backgrounds, all adding to the credibility of, of the Word of God itself. There were kings, there were generals, there were fishermen, there were doctors, there were lawyers, there was a tax collector, there were historians, and so many others who wrote this book, written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, written in three three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic, that gives 66 volumes covering hundreds of subjects, compiled over a span of 1,500 years, covering 3,500 years, of redemptive history. Not one individual making a claim, but a vast collection of historical documents. Peter's saying, we're not following a bunch of myths here. That's exactly what he's telling his audience. And he's getting ready to, he's giving his own background because in chapter 2, he's going to attack these false teachers that have come into the church. Here he's telling us, these are not myths, but these are hard, cold facts, Dano. They were there, they saw it, they experienced it. They're eyewitnesses, the people that actually saw up close and personal, they were sharing facts with you, not made up fairy tales or mythology. Now turn with me, if you will, and we'll continue our string of pearls. We'll come back to 2 Peter, but turn to Luke 1, 1 through 4. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's interesting as we turn to these chapters that. They all seem to start with the first chapter of each of these books. So let's go to Luke and see what Luke has to contribute to our string of pearls. Read with me. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were what? Eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having following all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What's Luke telling us? Luke is going to the very validity and credibility of the scripture of the Bible himself when we when he says, We have made a narrative of these things that took place. Luke's being very honest. He's saying here some of these I did not see myself but you know what I search and I research and I've talked to eyewitnesses men and women and I've gone to them and I have searched those truths to see and I've followed and that's what he means when he says I've followed these things for some time I've studied the past I've researched and I've talked to eyewitnesses who were there the Bible A reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Have you ever played the game telephone? You probably did when you were a bit younger. You know, you get around a group and somebody whispers in your ear and it starts out here. And by the time it gets to the end, it's nothing like the original. Well, that's not what's happening here. These are eyewitness accounts. They were there. Bill and our church would be happy to pull in all these witnesses in the court of law to testify. It's hard to lie when you're standing amongst hundreds of people who have seen and heard and touched that which they're speaking of. And that's what he's telling us here. Now we know that the Gospels are written with different goals in minds. For example, Luke wrote of the history and the chronology in revealing the Gospel... And also in Table Talk recently, it said he also wrote concerning the certainty of the gospel. John's goal was evangelism. Mark wrote uh, his goal was brevity. He just got to the truth. And Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, so he wants to make sure that he's showing the Jewish genealogy. But he's telling us, as all do, it's God-breathed Scripture. So we have here a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Go to 1 John. Let's look at John. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And let's see how John contributes to this. 1 John 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard, we have seen with our eyes, Eyes, and we have looked upon and have touched our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ and we are witnessing writing these things so that your joy may be made complete. John sang also again, I am an eyewitness. I was there as other eyewitnesses have shown and testified to us. He was in the flesh. I put my head on his shoulder. I touched his hands. He fed me. He washed my feet. I was there. Scriptures. Witnesses. Testifying among other, uh, among other eyewitnesses of what of supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. Second Peter, I won't turn back, but Second Peter, Peter's just telling this. I was there on the holy mountain when he was baptized, and I heard that voice from heaven, supernatural. This is Jesus, my very glory from God, and He said, "It's my Son, and who I." Beloved Son, and who I love and I'm well pleased, this is not some human miracle, but a supernatural event directly from God. And we can't leave out Paul. We knew Paul would have to be, you're confident, Paul would have to jump in here for sure, and we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and see what Paul adds to this string of pearl. Paul says... Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Now, listen to this for I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, and He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five. Hundred. He's risen. More than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. What's Paul saying? Paul's making an argument here for the very resurrection of our Lord. And he's saying, I was there. How many? Now, if you count these... Um, Doc, I may have to ask you to count, but there's probably 501, 512 eyewitnesses. Jesus walking the water. Jesus performing miracles, the resurrection, the transfiguration, the death, the burial. They saw firsthand the crucifixion. They saw him after he rose again. They saw the nail prints in his hands. They saw him. They experienced that. One of my favorites is Jesus says, disciples get in the boat and go across the other side. They get there, boom! Jesus is standing there. How did he get there? Supernatural events occurring in accordance with scriptures, and he appeared on the other side. One of the most remarkable verses in all in scriptures for me uh, come from first uh, from John twenty one twenty five. That says, "Now there are many other things that Jesus did, where every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written." If we put down every miracle Jesus did, there's not enough books in the entire world that could carry that. Eyewitnesses experiencing my Lord. Don't tell me, college professor, my Jesus wasn't real. Don't tell me there's a bunch of myths in this book that a bunch of monks got together. 6,000 documents have been found, scripturally based. 6,000 scriptural documents have been found and located it would take all these, some people say there were monks in the first century that got together and they, they found all these and they, they changed the descriptions to make sure they all appeared to say the same thing and then they rehit them. Are you kidding me? Comet may hit you in your ear. More likely than that. It was not going to happen. But they talked and they said these things. 6,000 manuscripts. Now some people are hung up. By the fact that, well, the New Testament, the earliest you're going to find writings of the New Testament particularly, are some 120 to 150 years after the original. Well, let me share with you something. The Gaelic wars written by Julius Caesar, there's 10 manuscripts that have been found, and the earliest of those are some 900 years after the original. Antony's or the Aristotle's of Poetics, there's only five manuscripts found, and the earliest is 13 to 1400 years after the original. Homer, there's less than 10 manuscripts that have been discovered. The earliest is some 2100 years after the original. And they claim their writings are divine rather than human in nature. Peter had just told us hundreds of times God said, Thus saith the Lord, we know what the world does not know, that God wrote this book. Prophecy not spoken from the lips of man, but the very inspiration of God. Now, very quickly, we have some internal and we have some external evidence. Just very quickly, the external evidence is that the Bible is true. There are some 25,000 confirmed archaeological digs directly related to the Bible, and not one of them has ever been credited as contradicting anything, any event in the Bible. There was a remarkable event, because I love the end of Deuteronomy, when we talk about Mount Ebal, if you remember Mount Ebal in the Bible. In 2019, they have found cursed, cursed. That part of Scripture is talking about the curses that Israel receive, or the blessings, if they continue to obey or disobey their God. And they have found scriptures that say, cursed, cursed. From the time of Judges, some 3,200 years ago, Early, the earliest Hebrew manuscript has been discovered confirming exactly what the Bible says. The internal evidences of our Bible. Well, just look at the doctrines, the truths, all in harmony, the consistency of the parts, the majesty of all 66, uh, 66 books all the perspicuity, we know the verbal plenary inspiration that Scripture confirms Scripture, the work of God by the power of God in the hand of God. Let me close with one other thing. A lot of times what you're going to hear is, you can't prove the Bible scientifically. Oh, that's interesting because, and I put it on your handout, to prove something scientifically, it has to be observable, measurable, and repeatable. Well, archaeology is pretty airtight in itself, the science there. But take that off the table. We'll consider, more importantly, that you don't prove history by scientific methods. You prove history by historical methods. This is a book of history. What history? What's the history of this book? The redemption of mankind, redemptive history. Jesus in the beginning, Jesus coming back in the end. All about redemptive history. History is based on the reliability of its sources the corroboration of those sources addressing the internal and external evidences that support those sources upon the credibility and trustworthiness of those witnesses, and is the information falsifiable? Are there other things confirming or contradicting the events recording? Do the writings of other contemporaries confirm the evidence? We prove the Bible, we hold to the Bible not based on science, although one day science may catch up. But we prove the Bible based on the historical evidence. The way that civilizations have lived with the Bible. How it's determined the fate. How it's determined cultures. How the majesty of these 66 books have come together. We see Israel. We see the Word. We see those evidences that God has given to us. The fool says, I can't believe the Bible because you can't prove it scientifically. But the intelligent man says, I choose to believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. And they report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. And they claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. David Rainey, that was hard for us to memorize, and I don't know why it's so hard. It's not that long. But let me tell you one thing. When you tell somebody that's an antagonist, somebody that's not a believer, wants to attack you and put us on the defense, you let the lion out and let the Holy Spirit take over. The Bible will defend itself. But I want to give you a statement back that's going to get aha with you asking me, what are you talking about? I'm no longer on the defensive. Let me share with you my Jesus. I found Him. I've experienced Him. And it's true. I was raised to believe my Bible. Now I can say those kinds of things with the conviction of heart. I hope and pray that you'll take these verses of Scripture, go back and look at them, What's John and Luke and Peter and Paul telling us? How's that in the Bible as a string of pearls put together? And by the way, I've given credit to the sermon that I heard on the bottom of your outline so you can go back sometime and listen to that. The Bible, the Word of God by the power of God in the hand of God. Lord God, as we close this morning, we thank you, dear God, with thankful hearts. This treasure that You've given to us is a revelation of Yourself to us. What blessings beyond all comprehension and human understanding. Lord, we know that we need not defend that which You've given us, Your Holy Word, for the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. But we're to read it, study it, meditate, hold its works and words to our hearts, and let the Bible defend itself. We're here to teach it, proclaim its truths, and share its proclamations. And let the Holy Spirit work in and through us. We thank you, dear God, for a precious hour that you've given us this morning. For the opportunity of brothers and sisters to yet again open your word. Feed our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In that name, given above every other name, we pray. That precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.